Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com, and by Ocean State Bird Club. Happy to sponsor Talking Birds. Why not shake off the midwinter blues with a bird walk? Or if it's too cold for your taste, come to one of our birding lectures or informal gatherings. We're online at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org and Facebook. Discover new ways to enjoy birding with Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 765. A little extra, little extra singing there. Why? It's for, I guess it's in honor of Groundhog Day. We're told that Punxsutawney Phil did not see his shadow thereby foretelling an early spring. So a lot of us up here in the north will not be moving. However, we still have some moving day music. It's moving day, moving day. So who's moving? Well, maybe an endangered species of Hawaiian honey creeper known as the kiwikue or the Maui parrot bill. Scientists are expected to decide soon whether to establish a captive breeding program on the U.S. mainland in an attempt to prevent the extinction of this species, which is found only on Maui and whose population has dwindled to fewer than 300 individuals. Many, many Hawaiian bird species are in trouble. There's the sound of the Maui parrot bill. It turns out that the Maui Forest Bird Recovery Project stopped a program to try to establish a population of these birds on the slopes of the Haleakala volcano after mosquito-borne avian malaria killed 10 of the 13 birds that were set to be released in October, including one that died before it could be set free. Scientists said they need to find new ways of dealing with the growing number of mosquitoes moving higher in forest elevation because the bird's range continues to shrink as climate change accelerates. We'll keep an eye on this story and report back when we hear whether the captive breeding program for the Maui parrot bill will indeed be attempted. That would be the sound of our mystery bird. We're here by previewing our mystery bird contest coming along a little bit later on in the show. That mystery bird is a big, heavy-bodied grazer with a short bill that's bright pink in the middle with a black base and tip. The body is grayish-brown, head and neck a darker brown. The tail is gray with a broad white tip, and the feet are pink. Our, breed, our bird breeds in eastern Greenland and Iceland and winters in northwest Europe but it's seen occasionally in other places, including the eastern parts of Canada and the U.S. And here's a little bonus clue. Our mystery bird was the final bird seen by Greg Miller's character, played by Jack Black in the birding movie The Big Year. Some clues there in the sound of our mystery bird this morning. We have a big raft of prizes here for our mystery bird contest, including the Droll Yankees new generation 13-inch metal finch sock that combines the attraction of a finch sock with the durability of metal. That's pretty good, and it holds a full pound of niger seed, a.k.a. thistle seed. 
Bonus prizes. A great way to listen and learn about bird sound in a game format. That's also pretty good. It's the LarkWire app. And it's available for your iOS device if you have an iPhone or for online access either way. Plus, we have a 12-ounce bag of delicious, shade-grown, bird-friendly, birds and beans coffee. Our favorite coffee around here. And our mystery bird contest coming along just a little bit later on in this morning's show. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you right now on our TalkinBirds.com website. Worth visiting, we'd like to humbly suggest. And our Facebook page, too. Birding to help prevent professional burnout. It's one of our podcast extras produced by our own Debbie Bleacher. And it features Talking Birds listener and ambassador Dr. Joshua Shore. You can find it under the latest shows and archive button under listen there at TalkingBirds.com. Uh, it's there right now. That's one thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, another listener and ambassador and retired police officer, Bill Bertke, down in Kentucky, has contributed a listener story for us about how birding helped him cope with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And you must not miss our Mike O'Connor's latest newspaper article about the recently celebrated National Bird Day and Mike's thoughts about the pet bird business. Find all of the above and more on our TalkingBirds.com website, also our Facebook page. And don't forget to check out our new Kids in Nature page for some terrific ideas about getting kids interested in nature and birds. That's at TalkingBirds.com. Well, while the Chiefs get ready to crush the 49ers in Miami Gardens, Florida later today, we'd like to offer a quick report on the Super Bowl of birding that took place last weekend in the northeast corner of Massachusetts and the southeast corner of New Hampshire, in which over 12 hours, teams of birders of all ages and abilities sought to amass the most points based on spotting the greatest number of species and the rarity of birds recorded. Congratulations to the Super Bowl of Birding Championship team, the Threshers, with 83 species and 215 total points. In keeping with the Super Bowl theme, the next three top finishers were football-themed teams, including the fourth and long Spurs, the first Eider Downies, and the incomplete Passerines, followed by the fifth-place winning team called Saw What? Congrats to all the participating teams in the 17th Super Bowl of Birding. Meanwhile, calling all listeners who might consider becoming Talking Birds ambassadors. We have come so close to reaching our milestone of having a total of 450 listeners join our ambassadors family. In fact, we need just four more ambassadors to reach this new goal, this milestone. So, dear Talking Birds listeners, will you step up as we transition into February and help us reach that new milestone? Meanwhile, we'll say a gigantic thank you to these Talking Birds ambassadors. James Cowell from Oak Creek, Wisconsin, in the southeast corner of the state, right there on the Lake Michigan shore. Thank you so much, James. Thank you to Charlie Wood from Pocasset, Massachusetts, a great friend of the show from way back. 
Charlie says, I tell everyone about the show down here on good old Cape Cod. Thank you so much, Charlie. And thank you to Sarah Middleair from Newtown, Connecticut. She says, I am a landscape designer who was sidelined by a serious injury several years ago. Since then, I've become involved in a local group to protect pollinators and have become fascinated with birding. I've begun to work some again, but now with a new focus. I set out to design not only for human use and enjoyment, but also to support birds and pollinators. And, of course, people are even more delighted when they have these wonderful creatures sharing their gardens and parks. So, Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join Sarah and Charlie and James in our Ambassadors family and help us get the word out about birds and conservation and our little radio show and podcast by allowing us to send you some of our info cards for you to hand out at your convenience to friends and neighbors and fellow birders. To join the family, just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. No G in there. TalkinBirds.com. Click on the Get Involved button and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, if we can make this connection, we'll talk with a remarkable woman from Austin, Texas, uh, who will talk about her work to make good birding sites accessible to mobility-challenged birders. Plus, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's famous Birdwatchers General Store in a special archived edition of Let's Ask Mike on the topic of backyard birds braving the brisk blasts of winter. And up next, a bird with a controversial common name and lots of nutty nicknames is today's featured feathered friend. Presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Lots of birds have lots of nicknames, but not usually as many as reported for today's featured feathered friend, whose identity we'll reveal in a moment. Among the nicknames listed by David Spector on a recent Mass Bird Forum post are these. Swallow-tailed Sheldrake, Coal and Candlelight, Northern Herald, Old Injun, South South Southerly, Old Molly, Old Granny, Old Billy, and Sea Pheasant. And that's just a sample of the nicknames for a bird whose common name is still controversial. Here in North America, it was once called Old Squaw, a name many found offensive, and it's now known around here by the name used around the world, the Long-Tailed Duck. The Long-Tailed is a small diving duck with black on the upper parts, head, neck, breast, and wings, and brown and black mottling on the back. It sports a pale gray face with a bill that's black at the base and tip and dark pink in the middle, and the male has a long black tail. This duck, which breeds in ponds, streams, and wetlands from Alaska east across most of northern Canada, winters on open ocean or large freshwater lakes as far south as the Carolinas, and it feeds by surface diving for aquatic invertebrates, bivalves, fish, fish eggs, and plant matter. And for reasons that may be obvious, this bird has also earned the nickname 
noisy duck. The only living member of the genus Clangula, the long-tailed duck, Clangula hyamalis. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show number 765. Well, we talked about whether we'd make this connection to Austin, Texas this morning. And uh, thanks to our uh, <clears throat> slight mistake here on our dates, we're not going to make that connection with our friend Virginia Rose. But uh, we will try to schedule her, and I'm sure we will, for next week. Meanwhile, we'll re revisit this uh, one of our favorite uh, interviews from back in the Talking Birds archives. Dr. Eric Strauss is the President's Professor of Biology and Executive Director of the Loyola Marymount University Center for Urban Resilience. And he's here with us on Talking Birds this morning from Los Angeles to talk about electric eggs. Good morning, <laughs> Eric. Good morning, Ray. It's a delight to chat with you. The sun is not yet up in Los Angeles, but it's hot today. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful day here, I'm uh, happy to report. Eric, I think we've determined that Electric Eggs is not the name of a 60s psychedelic rock group. So uh, <laughs> what are they instead? Well, in fact, they're a non-lethal way for us to help an endangered species of bird called the least tern, which you have lots of it in New England. They're one of the more cosmopolitan species distributed around the globe, but they're in serious trouble uh, because of the growth of cities around our coastal margins. And so uh, in, New in uh, Los Angeles, they're nesting in only one vestigial remaining habitat, so every predator in Los Angeles knows exactly where they're going to be and waits for them to show up. And uh, one of those is uh, American crows. And uh, historically, the way that... Uh, uh, the crow predation was modulated in these turn colonies was using lethal control, where the crows were trapped and, uh, and euthanized. And here at the center, we like to think of more animal-friendly approaches to managing these kind of challenges, especially considering how intelligent crows are. Your listeners should just think of them as a shorthand, uh, as feathered dolphins with respect to their intelligence and social structure. So we thought we could uh, actually train the crows, because they're very territorial, uh, and they live for 20 years or more, we can actually train the crows not to eat the eggs uh, and actually help us in defending the uh, least turn colonies against other crows. So we developed, uh, uh, it's a pretty large team, it'd take a big room to put them all in. The hmm. uh, uh, team developed uh, a series of eggs that were electrified using a system that, say, a poultry or, or chicken farmer might use in a fence to control their birds. But instead, the uh, wires terminated in quail eggs that were that looked very much like turn eggs, and we would bury them about 25 uh, uh, electrified uh, pairs of eggs that looked like turn nests, and the crows would uh, complete the circuit by uh, putting their tongues on the egg, mm. and they'd receive a mild electric shock with the hope that they would uh, learn not to eat the eggs, and... Uh, um, at the same time, remain territorial and defend that area against other crows. And so you take advantage of the intelligence of the crows, right? That they're uh, seeing their brothers uh, getting these little shocks and saying, hey, we maybe we want to stay away from where, where Joe is over there. But you're protecting them at the same time because you're not using these lethal methods. Well, yeah, it's, 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 uh, we think it's a win-win situation because crows are fascinating. They're a group of animals we call synanthropes. There's a handful of animals, that, that species, that live very, very well with humans 
and everywhere you go, you'll find cats and dogs and crows and coyotes and a, and a few other species, and they're not going to disappear. I mean, over the, since the Second World War, the number, the density of crows in Los Angeles has gone up nearly 20-fold. Uh, and that's true in, in most urbanizing areas. And so the idea that you're going to uh, euthanize your way out of a crow challenge simply isn't true, and honestly, it's not ethical. And so, uh, you know, prior to the use of these electrified eggs, the uh, uh, reproductive success of these least turns had been zero for the previous four years. And uh, in the first year we deployed these, in 2014, the colony raised over 100 chicks. Wow. And it was a fantastic success. But I, but we also, our team, which included uh, Dr. Peter Auger, my uh, uh, research colleague, and Vanessa Velasco, uh, my grad students, and Tom Ryan, California Fish and Wildlife, and so forth, we said, look, this is not a plug-and-play system. Uh, these are complicated animals. And wouldn't you know, the following year, there were a group of folks who were very fond of crows off-site and were feeding them peanuts. And the crows started using the uh, turn nesting area to cache or to hide that their, their peanuts for use <laughs> later. And the number of crows that hadn't been trained started to overwhelm the colony. And so we had uh, more serious uh, predation problems last year. So we're working on additional systems uh, to uh, figure out how to make this work in the long term. Mm-hmm. But like nature, it's always, you know, it's always throwing you a surprise. And... Uh, <laughs> That's why I think we'll always need real humans to do science. <laughs> Indeed. Well, speaking of humans, you know, one of the ways the shorebirds try to avoid predation by crows and other predators is by shifting their breeding locations uh, each year. So there's a certain irony in the fact that wildlife managers uh, try to provide shorebird nesting areas but but um, have the opposite effect of protecting them because they're in the same place every year and the crows know where to show up. Well, that's exactly true, Ray. You know, and, and the, the analogy on the East Coast is for many years there were programs for using discarded Christmas trees to plug up dune openings along the coastal margins. And I did my doctoral studies with piping plovers on Cape Cod. And it is, in fact, those natural breaks that occur because of storms that allow shorebirds like terns and plovers to find new areas and stay one step ahead of the predators. And there's plenty of, of habitat in Los Angeles, for instance. There's 30 miles of beaches in Los Angeles County, but they're all groomed on a daily basis. <laughs> and so the only natural beaches left are these little fenced-off areas. And this is part of the management discussion that's taking place now. The most effective tool for management in Los Angeles would be allow uh, allowing these birds to find new locations to nest and, and get ahead of the predators. Mm-hmm. Eric, tell us about the video and camera monitoring work you're doing to better understand the crow's behavior. Sure. So uh, as much as you'd like to have as many humans as possible taking part in the project, and in fact, we pride ourselves in involving members of the community and a very broad group of folks uh, to help us do our work, uh, we're also making use of technology. And as remote cameras have become less expensive, and become triggered by movement and can gather data day and night, we can deploy these cameras in the turn colony and we can uh, measure crow behavior and activities remotely uh, by gathering up the memory chips and analyzing them. And so you can literally watch a crow get educated as it were to go to school when it uh, trips one of these uh, one of these electric eggs. You see it jump up in the air and kind of look and say, wow, you know, <laughs> what yeah. happened here? And it kind of walk around and then it's even more fascinating because you'll watch others, as you mentioned, standing by, seeing that same event happen. 
So we actually came up with a scorecard to figure out the difference between what we call naive and educated crows. Educated crows won't walk near those eggs hmm. because they've had that experience. And, and the success of this intervention, if you will, is dependent on that ratio of educated versus naive crows. The educated crows will leave the eggs alone. Pretty amazing. Dr. Eric Strauss is the president's professor of biology and executive director of the Loyola Marymount University Center for Urban Resilience in Los Angeles and part of the team creating electric eggs to reduce the impact predation on nesting shorebirds. Eric, keep up the great work. We'll be certainly interested in updates, and thanks for being with us. Thank you for having a great show, Ray. Up here next on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. What's one of your favorite memories? <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, well, there was this one time I went camping with my parents in a forest back when I was maybe like eight or nine. And um, I can remember one night we were laying out in our hammocks and we were just, you know, watching the trees rustling in the wind above us and we could hear the sounds of the forest all around us frogs singing and owls calling and the creek running nearby. It was amazing. It felt like we were a part of it all. I don't know if I do it justice trying to describe it, but I'll definitely never forget it. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit World Wildlife Org. Our mystery bird contest is presented by Red Start Birding. Red Start Birding is your new resource for birding optics, gear, and expertise. Great birding starts at redstartbirding.com. That's our mystery bird, a big, heavy-bodied grazer with a short bill. Pink in the middle, black base and tip. The body is grayish-brown. The head and neck a darker brown. The tail is gray with a broad white tip. And the feet are pink. Our bird breeds in eastern Greenland and Iceland, winters in northwest Europe, occasionally seen in other places, including the eastern parts of Canada and the U.S. What is our mystery bird? 781-837-4900 is the number. Tell us what it is or take your guess and uh, have a chance at those fabulous prizes. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, it's Let's Ask Mike in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name is Paul Keller, and I'm calling from Cincinnati, Ohio. I decided to become a Talking Birds ambassador because I just really enjoy talking about birds. My family and I like to listen to Ray Brown's Talking Birds together, for sure. All of us. I like to give out the ambassador cards to pretty much anybody I come in contact with. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. It's easy to do. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage and then choose the Become an Ambassador option at TalkingBirds.com. Join today and thanks. Well, it's warming up a little bit, but it's still kind of cold. It is early February, so we're back on the topic of birds in the cold weather, especially now in the backyard. 
as we connect here with Mike O'Connor down there at the Bird Watchers General Store uh, on Cape Cod in Orleans. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning to you, Ray. It is warming up a little bit. We're seeing a little bit more of uh, open water out front here, so it's a, the duck's a little bit happier. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, well, we've had a, quite a deep freeze, and birds have uh, had a tough time getting through this. Oh, my God, especially when we just mentioned the ducks. I went down to the... Uh, the Orleans Yacht Club the other day, which sounds like a wonderful place. It's basically an old weathered building with a boat ramp. That's the idea of a yacht club. But the, but the ducks had come in. Um, apparently, I don't know if somebody had tossed some corn out or what, but they, they were running out of uh, open water, and, and they were actually on the land, uh, the black ducks, mostly black ducks and mallards. Was, and they, they would go up on the land when it was like in the teens, and they would tuck their feet in. So instead of stand, standing on the grass and, and eating the grass, they would just clamp down and kind of push their bodies along because they didn't want to expose their feet because it was so cold. So the whole time they kept their, their legs tucked underneath them. And then when they took a break, they immediately would turn their heads and tuck their beaks in their feathers because they they had that counter current with the, keeping their feet warm, but yeah. their beaks lose a lot of heat. So they would mm. immediately tuck their heads in their feathers. Now, a lot of birds struggle in this cold. Some birds go in nesting cavities to keep warm but most of them don't and which is amazing they just don't feel comfortable in there so they go against the sides of trees and huddle up against the sides of trees and they go they use the tree to block the wind and sometimes they'll huddle up two or three at a time to keep warm i know uh, people found kinglets all kind of huddled together to stay out of the wind and, and to help conserve energy, a lot of them will drop their body temperatures. It's usually it's like around like 104-ish, and they drop it a number of degrees. And they also shiver, which, like we do, mm-hmm. to produce heat. But they don't shiver as kind of kind of dramatically as we do. But they do have a bit of shivering to keep themselves warm. And they huddle down, and they fluff their feathers out. We were looking at, at chickadees coming to our feet. They're like, like little balls, just <laughs> puffed super out and you're talking about wrens when i put my feeders out this morning and there was a carolina wren wow they they make it through this cold and then, like we just talked about it's a southern bird but david probably with feeders and some of our plantings and some of our wood piles are able to they're able to survive the cold mm-hmm. um i was reading about one um grouse and i don't i'm surprised more birds don't do this but they grouse will make a little snow cave and fly in, I think Tom can do the same thing, to keep themselves warm. Mm-hmm. They go inside. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm getting extra loud music now. All right. Happy Super so- Sunday. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you very much, Mike O'Connor, the famous Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Every Wednesday, Bird Watching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to bird watchers. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. Meanwhile, we return to the mystery bird contest and try to identify this big, heavy-bodied grazer with the short bill and pink feet. 781-837-4900 is the number to call if you can tell us what that bird is or take a guess. Uh, We have some beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees. We have the Larkwire app and Birds and Beans shade-grown, bird-friendly coffee. And we have Pascal uh, somewhere in Tennessee. Good morning, Pascal. And how did I do pronouncing your name there? Uh, Say magnifique. 
Oh, magnifique, wow. And I know I got Tennessee, <laughs> I know I pronounced Tennessee correctly, although not with the appropriate accent, uh, maybe. But anyway, uh, Pascal, thank you so much for uh, calling in. Are you a new listener to our show? Uh, I've listened to, listen to it a few times here and there. I enjoy it when I'm, uh, when I'm off work. I, I do enjoy the program. Well, thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy yeah. the prizes. If you get the right answer here, you certainly uh, will. You heard the stuff about our mystery bird. What do you um, what do you say that that is that mystery bird there? Uh, I'm going to wager to guess it's a uh, pink-footed goose. Pink-footed goose. Let me check the uh, file here. That is correct. <laughs> oh, my dog. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, you're you're being cool. modest. You absolutely uh, nailed it there, pink footed goose is absolutely right pascal thank you so much if you'll stay on the line uh, we'll arrange to uh send you um, those prizes okay thanks sir all right thank you so much pascal i forgot to ask are you still there pascal i think we probably uh, oh yeah i, I yes, forgot I, to ask whereabouts in tennessee i'm in knoxville uh, close to the french broad river next oh. to a uh, a beautiful a beautiful little expanse here on a, on a sunday morning no less <laughs> all right sounds nice thanks again Thank All right. Pink-footed goose, our mystery bird, and that would mean we are kind of out of time for our show. Thanks to our great team, Debbie Bleacher, Fred McGregor, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, and by Ocean State Bird Club. Happy to sponsor Talking Birds. Why not shake off the midwinter blues with a bird walk? Or if it's too cold for your taste, come to one of our birding lectures or informal gatherings. We're online at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org and Facebook. Discover new ways to enjoy birding with Ocean State Bird Club.